about this morning's message. And I was telling this morning at, at 9 o'clock prayer uh, just about how excited I'm about this because today we're talking about one of my favorite subjects. Now you're saying, what is that? Hold on, I'll tell you in a minute this morning. But um, we're finishing off our series we started back five weeks ago where we're talking about making room for God to move in our lives, right? And, and it's been a fun series because, as you may know, and I've said before, when I preach and I tell you things, I have one finger pointed at you and three back at me. And this series has been one of those kind of things where I've been like, man, every time I preach about this, it's, it's, been, it's been a challenge in my life because I also, at times, am very full of stuff. I'm a busy person. I like to fill my life with so much stuff that at times it is easy for us to go what our culture says and be so busy and so full and so compact and so crazy that we, we leave little room for God to actually do things in our life, Right? What our culture says, our culture says that you are what you produce, that you, a happy life is a full life, full of yourself and full of your own things, and God's way and God's plan is different than that. We're talking about how we make room for God to move in our lives. We're talking about how we, we do that. Last week we talked about that in our, in our finances and the principle of, of first. And for us to understand what this means, we really have to have a Romans 12-2 life. And, and Romans 12-2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. One of my favorite scriptures, I love that verse, because that verse talks about so deeply about how we as believers, how we as people, how we need to have our minds changed, and we do it by the authority of the God's word, Right? It's how we tell you our minds are changed. I can't change my mind by trying harder or thinking better, you know, or just really working hard. No, I need Jesus to transform me. I need his word to transform my mind, to come under his authority. And a few weeks ago when we started this series, I started by saying culture typically says that our value is connected to what we produce, right? That's what our culture says. And the truth today is that's not always true. What the truth is, as believers, we have what we have because it comes from God. Amen? Right? It's, it's pretty clear. We have what we have. It comes from God. Now, hard work and dedication and smart, that, those, are, those are valuable things. But ultimately, what we have comes from God. That's just the truth. And so today, what today kind of revolves around is the word we use to describe how that works. That if we're going to make room for God to move in our lives, that means that our lives are going to intersect with miracles, with the miraculous. Our, our lives are going to intersect with the miraculous. And so if what we have comes from God, we will have miracles. And I want to ask you today, have you ever had your life intersect with the miraculous? I bet a lot of us probably have in this room. You know, a lot of us probably said, yeah, I got miracles. I, God's done this and God's done that in my life. He, maybe hopefully you've had some recently where God has, has done some things. Uh, this last week I went on Facebook, which I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have almost all but gotten rid of Facebook, okay? So let's be honest. So if you have like things you post on Facebook or your birthday and I don't comment on those anymore, isn't it because I don't like you? It's because I'm so tired of all the garbage on there. So that's just a little, you know, a little thing there for you. So I'm not, you know, avoiding you. But once in a while, I still go on. I posted on Facebook this last week, uh, have you ever seen God do a miracle? And I had tons of responses. 
uh, amazing stories that uh, I went through and I read last night. It was awesome to read these stories. Many of you guys and, and other people in my life and my past and such have posted things. And it was awesome. Too many to name. One of them was my, my great aunt, who, uh, who I didn't know this actually, but my great aunt, her daughter, who is my second cousin, I, I think. I don't know, whatever. But my, some family member of mine, they live in Florida. And I didn't know this, but when they have a, a one-year-old, or had a one-year-old daughter, and at that, at that point, she's, she's now 18, but when she was one, she drowned in the bathtub. And I'm, I'm telling you, I have little girls, so I heard the story. I was like, man, I can't imagine. So my, my great-aunt says she remembers up to, going to the house and watching her son-in-law uh, take this little baby, one-year-old baby, out of the house in her arms. Uh, baby is gray, dead, lifeless, not breathing, rushes to the ambulance, drives to the ambulance, or drives to the hospital, gets to the hospital, and they proclaim this little baby dead. Terrible, terrible thing. And, and uh, so the doctors call in the family to come in, and so they all come in, and they kind of are praying and praying, and they, they decide to pray that God would do something miraculous here. And so they join around together in a circle, hold hands, and so they're praying over this baby, and she says a few moments later, the baby let out a terrifying but amazing scream. And all of a sudden, she said, we were like, you know, jump back, because this little baby who had been pronounced dead was now alive. And started to gasp for air and started to come alive and the skin changed. And she said, the doctors said it was a miracle. They said, there is no way, there is no how this could happen. It was a bona fide miracle. And that's a pretty cool story, right? You tell someone a miracle story and you're going to get a response of some sort, aren't you? Now, you tell someone a hard work story and they'll say, Good job. Way to go. You know, that might be about it. You tell someone how your, your seven-year-old daughter, almost seven-year-old daughter, was the student of the month last month at school, at Pinewood Elementary School, and she is, I'm, you know, oh, not me, somebody, that the dad's so proud of her, you know, and she is just, you know, so smart, and she's so wonderful, and she's so beautiful, and, you know, you tell a story like that, okay, I'm bragging a little bit, maybe that's true, just like her dad, you know, she follows her dad's footsteps, but, you know, uh, but you, you tell a story like that, and they'll say, oh, that's nice, you know, whatever. Stop telling about your kid. But you tell them a miracle story, and it's going to get a reaction, right, of some, some sort. It may be, wow, that's incredible. Wow, tell me more. Or it might be skepticism. Many people react with skepticism when they hear a miracle story. And, you know, here's the deal today, is that we as believers have to realize that that's a fair question, isn't it? It's a fair question. It's a fair question when somebody who doesn't have faith that God could do something miraculous says, can that really happen? Can God really heal a baby? Maybe that baby wasn't really dead or maybe whatever. And they look at these things and they say with skepticism, I don't know if that's really true. Maybe it's just happenstance. But it's a fair question. I've had miracles in my life and told people those stories and they responded with skepticism and such. And I'm sure that you have at some point too. You read the Bible and the Bible is just jam-packed with miracle stories. Story after story after story in the Bible is God doing miraculous things. Some people would say, did Jesus really was, did he really come by way of virgin birth? Did he really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really do that? Did he really feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? 
Did Jonah really emerge from a big fish, puked up on the shoreline, all that garbage and stuff on him? Come on, did that really happen? I mean, that's a fair, those are fair questions. Now, Jesus addressed that because the question we have next is, do these things still happen today? And if you believe what Jesus said, the answer would be yes. John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works, and the works, the context there is miracles. So he's talking about doing miracles. He says, to them I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. My question for you today is, have you made room for the miraculous in your life? Again, a lot of us, probably especially here in church, would say, well, absolutely. But there's a difference between saying, I believe in miracles and making room for miracles. Of expecting God to do things like this. That's where we're focusing on this morning, is making room for these things. Because you have to believe in possibility that if what Jesus said in John 14 is true, that there will be and should be and can be miracles happening in our world all the time. And I will tell you this, actually there, there are. Believe it or not, whether you are a skeptic or not, and if you are a skeptic, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm not upset. We, are, we welcome you today. I hope you enjoy this today. I hope that you learn from this this morning because we do believe that God does miracles. But if you don't, that's okay. I'm glad you're here today. But there, I will tell you that there is, there is tons of places where, where we see miracles all the time. I, I see this this morning in three ways. Three spots where it's not hard for us to encounter miracles in our day-to-day life. The first place is miracles of creation. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created, right? In the beginning, God created miracles of, of creation. You think about this this morning. We see these things all the time. I have two little girls. Watching my little girls grow up, I am literally seeing miracles before my eyes. Uh, it's amazing sometimes watching my little girls who do things that are just like me and my wife. And to my, to my chagrin, I say, oh, no, be more like Lisa. But no, no, they, they do things. I think it's, these aren't taught things. They're not things that, you know, we've taught them to do. They're just natural, innate things. It is a bona fide miracle. My daughter, Michaela, is a miracle. She shouldn't be here today. Now, if you've heard a story, don't worry, I'm not telling it, because we'd be here all day, so I won't tell the story. Someday I will, but uh, my daughter, Michaela, shouldn't be here today, especially not in the, in the place that she is. She's a miracle. Watching my children is a miracle, but that's not it. The human eye. The human eye is a miracle. Do you know this? That there are 137 million light-sensitive cells that you have per eye. 137 million. And they all work in unison, in tandem, together to process information and bring in what you see. That's incredible. That not only that, but your eyes have hundreds of muscles in them that focus and refocus and focus and refocus every hour, hundreds of times every hour, your muscles focus and change. It's incredible. Science and technology has tried to reproduce what the eye can do like that has been done since the beginning of time. I'll tell you this, they are, they're not close it's difficult. There's, there's things that kind of come close and kind of replicate that, but they need so much technology and so much stuff to do it, and it still doesn't happen. 
Our eyes are, are a, a bona fide miracle. Our brain is a miracle. Just the fact of what your brain can bring back and remember is, is astounding. Uh, a few, few months ago, a couple guys from our church and myself, we went to a, an old man, I mean, Striper concert, and it was awesome. And, and so some of those things, uh, some of those, the songs I hadn't heard since I was, well, a few, but most I still listen to them, but whatever. So a couple of the songs I hadn't heard since I was a teenager. And one person in particular, I won't mention names, said, Pastor Steve, you shouted like, like, like you were a, a, a junior high kid. And I said, absolutely. Because I was like, I was taken back to when I was, a, a, when I was a, a, in junior high. And I remembered every single word, every single beat, everything. But I'd heard it so many times. My brain brings that back. And you know how it is. You can hear a song and what you, you not only hear the song, you remember all the words and all the beats. You remember where you were when you last heard it, the smells you smelled. You remember all this. Isn't that incredible that your brain can do that? There is no way that scientists can understand how that works because it is a literal miracle. It's, it's incredible. Nature. Nature is, is a miracle. It's, it's, it's amazing to see and, and witness the creativity of a creative God. And the prevailing thoughts in, in much of science is that uh, we are here because of a big bang. Now, there's many different theories on that and how that works, and I have time to get into that today, but, but that's a prevailing theory. The problem is, is that nothing ever comes from chaos. No, no, no order does not come from chaos, to say that that could happen, that it just kind of blew up and happened, would be like if you went to a, 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 an airline uh, uh, junkyard and there was all the parts of a 747 scattered all over the place, which you'd have to have those there first, which that's the whole other thing, but they're all sitting there around this, this junkyard and you put a bomb in the middle and you detonate it and it blows up and what you see left in the smoke is a perfectly designed, put together 747 plane using those parts. Now, that's, would you get on that plane? I, I wouldn't because that's pretty crazy, right? But see, that's the creative power of our gods. We believe as believers that God, in the beginning, God created but that action of creation is literally a miracle. How God did it and what God does, we can see that in all, in all of our lives. Salvation is a miracle. I have had the privilege of leading people to Christ uh, whose lives were in ruin and destruction and seeing the change and transformation in their lives, the change of their mind, the change of their hearts. It doesn't make sense except for a creative, wonderful Miracle-working gods. We see God's work through miracles. We see him through creative miracles. But those scratch the surface because another type we see is God's favor. Uh, there's an example of this. It's found in, in Leviticus 26. And, and this is God talking to Israel, his people. Listen to this this morning. This is, this is great. If you follow my decrees, verse 3, and they are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. And the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest. And the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food all you want and live safely in your lands. What God is saying here is that if you follow my commands, if you do what I told you to, that you will be blessed. Your food, you'll have enough. You'll, you'll have more than enough. And then he continues. 
I will grant peace in the lands, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five will chase a hundred, a hundred, ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Now I want to pause there for a moment. Because some people say, well, that's why I don't believe the Bible, because it's full of violent things like that. And I want to just, this is completely free, okay? This is a pause. i got to do this today. did plan on this. But, but the reason why those things are there is because imagine what would have happened. God had a plan of redemption since day one. God's plan was for humankind to come and to live in communion with him. And what happened when mankind fell, when sin entered the world, it changed the course of history. And God has had a plan of redemption since that moment to make the world different, to, to come and bring salvation to the world. But the plan was not an instantaneous thing. It was a long time, a process of, of plans and, and steps. God's plan involved the people of Israel because of a promise that he made with, with, with Abraham. Had the people of Israel who were in an incredibly, you think today things are violent and awful. Man, go back a few thousand years to that, to Old Testament times. It was brutal. Had the people of Israel not responded with those things, God's plan of redemption literally would have died on the vine. But God had a plan of redemption, allowed his people to walk through that time. And as you'll notice that the longer this plan of redemption has gone throughout the world, the change in the world has happened. The world has become less violent, less awful. And because God's plan has continued to move forward. Now what's interesting too is that in, this, in our current culture, as God is being removed, not just from ours, but all around the world, look at the rise in violence and the rise in things. That's free, but, you know, it's amazing how God's plan of redemption has worked throughout history. God has not called us to a place of violence. God has called us to a place of prayer and knowing him because, well, anyway, I can't get to that that right now, I'm going to start preaching in that, in that way. But, but that's, that's, wow, that's for free. I got way off the, my course here. Verse 9, I will look on you with favor and make you faithful and, and fruitful and increase your numbers. I will keep my covenant with you, my promise with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you, when you will have to move it out to make room for the new harvest. We will, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Here's favor defined. The re, when the results far exceed the effort we put in, that's favor. When the results far exceed the effort we put in, that's favor. And church, that is a bona fide miracle. Now, here's a truth today that I've learned in my life, a truth based on this scripture and many others that talk about favor. Favor follows obedience. The miracle of favor follows obedience. The course of scripture, the course of history shows that that's what happens. Again, there's, there's miracles of God's creation, there's miracles of God's favor, and favor follows obedience. We've alluded to this a lot in the series, but Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. Put God first. If you need a miracle of favor, this is what it speaks to. You know, I think that's a key for so many of our lives. It's an important thing for so many of our lives to consider this is how things work. I remember years ago, a family that I was uh, me and another pastor was 
counseling with. It was, a, it was a, just a disaster. This family, I, this is many years ago, not, not here, many, many years ago. And we were walking them through, and this family, the kids were just out of control. There was, there was drugs, there was sex, there was, I mean, there was, it was just awful. It was happening in this family. And so we were sitting out with this, this, this parents, and we're trying to help them and walk them through this. And, and we, we, start, we discovered a, a few things, that, that mom and dad had some very big, deep, dark secrets. And as we started walking with them through these things, and the first one was that they had not been married. And so for years and years and years, mom and dad had tried to live as married people but without marriage. And here was their response. They said, well, we are married because we said we're married. And so years ago, we got there and we're good and, and that's fine. And so when this pastor and I started to try to nail down some things in their life, the dad got belligerent and got up and left and said, I don't want to hear this. That's just what I thought would happen. I'd come to a pastor and I'd have him tell me all the things I did wrong. See, that's where a lot of us are in our lives. We want God's favor, but we don't want to do what God's told us to do. And the course of history shows us that favor follows obedience. When you walk in obedience, when you walk with God, favor follows. And I'm not saying that our problems all have to do with that. I am not saying that. But I am saying we have to come to the place where we understand that there are things that we do when we do not, we walk outside of God's blessing, we outside of God's promise, that at the very least, there are things in our lives that we struggle that have a direct correlation to that. Favor follows obedience. It has throughout the course of, of history. I think so many of our struggles can be traced back to this. I found in my own life, there are things in my own life that, that I've had that are, are, are big de deal issues and things that, that I have had to learn, that I have to put under. As the word says originally, we have to be renewed. Our minds have to be changed. Put these things under the authority of God's word and sometimes admit, I'm wrong. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to admit we're wrong. Culture says you never admit you're wrong. Jesus says that you're wrong sometimes, but he has come to forgive and to clean us up and to change us and to turn our course of history around. What he did with Israel, what he's done throughout the course of history, favor follows obedience. That's the third, second kind of miracle. The third kind of miracle today is the one that we generally think of and focus on when we think about miracles. It's the miracles of God's direct intervention. Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 11. God's direct intervention. Lazarus was known by Jesus, and Lazarus, the, the, the main character of this story, was a friend of Jesus. As it says in, in verse 3, G Lazarus was the one Jesus loved, and he was sick. He was extremely sick. And everybody in the place, everyone in the house knew how this was going to end. They knew that he was done. Everyone except Jesus. Look what Jesus says here in verse 4. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's what? It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Man, that is an incredibly important detail. When it comes to miracles of God's intervention, God's glory that his son may be glorified through it. 
The weight of Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament shows us three kinds of miracles. Creative miracles, miracles of favor, and miracles of God's direct intervention. When God's direct intervention comes, this is always there. Miracles have, of this have a point. It's God's glory revealed. God's glory could seem like a very heady, very difficult subject. How do you explain God's glory to someone who doesn't understand or doesn't know him or, or whatever else? And so what happens here is at times God could be a heady, abstract subject until he comes and he changes things through his direct intervention. That's the point here. And Jesus even goes on to say in verses 14 and 15, he says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And this is for your sake. See, we don't have to be weird about stuff, right? We don't have to be weird about, like, declaring something that is way it is and saying, well, he's, you know, I'm sick, but I'm not sick, you know? That's foolishness. It's, that, it's not how it works. See, God's not called us to be, to be foolish or be weird, but God has called us to trust him for things. And so he told them, hey, he's dead, and then for your sake, I'm glad I was not here so that you may believe. Let's go to him. Anyone who says Jesus was just milk toast, you know, flag, hippie flag wearing, DW van driving guy doesn't know Jesus very well. I mean, Jesus, if you read the scriptures, he, he got in your face sometimes. And here's a point where he does. This is not a, a Jesus that just says, oh, whatever, just love and be happy. No, he says it's, it's good that he's dead. What kind of a God would say that? Well, kind of a God that knows what's happening. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. As the story unfolds, that's what happens. They would see something they'd never forget. It would cause them to see God's glory. Let's pick up at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved. Jesus was not, again, some, some fictional, some weird, hippie, character. He was tough. He was strong. He was amazing. He spoke the words of life. He was God in the flesh. And he was also a, incredibly the God who, had, who, who felt and a God who was deeply moved, came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. If, you're, if you read the KJV, the King James, he says, he stinketh. Love that word. For he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the what? The glory of God, right? So they rolled away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you've always hear me. And this, but this is said for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him, let him go. Wow. I mean, can you imagine seeing this for the first time? You'd be mind blown, right? You'd be like, oh, wow. This dude was dead for four, not just like a little bit, four days dead. He's four days. They open up that tomb up and it's like the smell comes out. And they're like, you know, this should not happen. But yet it does. And here it happens, just as plain as they see this, and they say, I can't believe this. 
But the key to understand this miracle is found in the verse that follows. He says here, it's what he has been alluding to all along. In verse 45, he says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and then believed in him. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions when it comes to miracles. Anybody else have questions? I've been studying God's word for a long time. I've been to college. I've been to seminary. I mean, I've been there a long time. I have questions when it comes to miracles. Why does God perform miracles sometimes and not other times? Why does God perform a miracle here? I've seen him do that. Why here, but, but not here? I don't understand that. You think of of countless people, even in the Bible, who have died and could have used a miracle. Did, Did God love Lazarus more than he loved them? Did God care more about those he gives miracles to than those that he does not? That's a question. It's an honest question, right? Why doesn't God perform a miracle every time I ask him to? Why doesn't he do those kind of things? What happens there? Why doesn't, why does it happen? I, I need a miracle. I've asked God. I've believed him for it. Why doesn't he do it in this situation? Isn't what you need for God to move faith the size of a mustard seed? Well, I at least have that, right? I, who's, who said that before? Well, I at least got that much faith. Why doesn't God do this now when I've asked him to? And then why does God do miracles for people that don't even believe in who he is? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I believe God. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? I don't have all the answers. You want all the answers, you're not going to get them from me. But I do see a pattern in this story and a pattern from Scripture that helps us to understand miracles better. See, miracles are a place where, where God gets the glory. If miracles were a road sign, they would point in one direction. It would point in one spot. If they were a road, they would have an ending point. They would have a, a, a last point. And the point would be very clear and very simple. The point is this. It's God. It's for his glory, his purpose, and to bring him glory. And you think, that sounds kind of mean. But here's the deal. There is no greater truth, there is no greater thing for us as human beings better than any miracle I could possibly imagine than God bringing redemption to our lives and God freeing us from sin, God freeing us from garbage and things. There is no greater miracle than that. History and scripture from point A to point Z or whatever revelation might be, all along that place has shown us that God's desire, God's plan, God's God's purpose is the redemption of mankind, that people would see his glory. And as Jesus here said, come to know him as their savior. Here's the truth this morning. If you want to make room for the miraculous, live for his glory. A lot of times when I ask for miracles or I want a miracle, when I'm not thinking of God's glory, I'm thinking of my comfort or my safety or my whatever. And there's things in my life that I've needed and I've wanted that are not just comfort. They're genuine, honest-to-goodness needs. Here's the truth today. that This is a fallen world. It's a fallen world and the world's ultimate redemption will happen on that day when we see Jesus face to face. 
But scripture teaches us that when God breaks into that reality and does something different, it comes for his purpose. And there could be no greater thing in the world than that. That's better than my comfort, better than my happiness, better than my safety, better than my future. My future is important, but it is nothing compared to the future that God has for me. My life is valuable, but it's nothing compared to the value that God, that God has. It's nothing. This life, is the word, as the word says, is a breath. It's a, it's a moment. It's a, it's a minute in, that, in, in the course of, of history compared to what it will be like we see him face to face. When God breaks in and does something miraculous, it is for that purpose. It always has been, and I would probably say it always will be, based on Scripture. It is for his glory. If you want to make room for the miraculous and learn and teach and begin to live your life for his glory. There could be nothing better and there could be nothing greater than that. I think God has it in his heart to do many miracles among us. But I think sometimes we get off target because the miracle road leads to me and not to him. This morning, if you're here today, if you have a person and you say, I... I, I need a miracle. I need God to touch me. I need God to to break through and and do something incredible in in my life. There is no question, based on Scripture, based on experience, based on what we have seen God do, that God has the power and the ability to do that. There is no question about those things. There is no question we're coming to a day, we're coming to an age when I believe we are going to see miracles take place we have not seen throughout history. I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. But the reason for that is not to make us happier or make us more full. The reason is because his glory is incredible. And when people see him, when they see what he's done, when they come to grips with that, they're changed. They're not just healed, but they are actually set free and delivered. The band would come forward and began to lead us this morning. I believe that with all my heart, that's the purpose and the reason why God does things the way that he does, why God does does miracles like that. If you want to make room for miracles this morning, understand miracles. Understand the nature of of these things today. And I want to encourage you to thank him for the ones that you've already seen. Thank him for the ones that you see on a day to day to day basis, how easy it is for us to forget and lose sight of what God already has done, when, we're, when our needs are so big and so great, it's easy to lose sight of those things. I want to encourage you today to get your sight and your vision, your view off of the things that you need and onto how God has already done amazing things in your life. Put your eyes on that. Fix your eyes on that. Is that, is that hard? You better believe it's hard. Is it hard when you're in a minute of, of, of difficulty? It is. But it's the key. Understand them. Number two, submit to him. Submit to him. Man, that is countercultural stuff. For us to come to Jesus and say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever you do, Lord, God, if you, if you in my life see this issue and need and it needs to change, God, if you say it, I believe it. God, if you do it, I say it, Okay. Lord, I submit. I come under your authority. I come under the king, the kingdom of of Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. 
Some of you today, you need to get a grip on that, that truth. Again, you're struggling. You're, di- you're in difficulty right now. I'll be honest with you. You're in difficulty right now, and you need God to break in. But you're also not living under his authority. You've pulled yourself out from under his wing, and then you wonder why he doesn't help you. Well, here's the deal today. He came for an encouraging word. There could be no more encouraging word than this. Take yourself out of that spot, come under his wings, and his word, his promises say that when you do that, he will take care of you. When you do that, he will help you. He'll walk with you. But you've got to do that part. That's hard. I'll tell you this this morning, church. I will tell you this this morning. That when you live like that, when you live, your focus is off of all the garbage and things that you have failed on and struggled with outside of your sin, when your focus is on all those things and not submitting yourself under his authority, you're going to miss it. But when your, your focus becomes that, it's like you came alive. It's like for the first time, you, the, the, the sky is bluer. <laughs> The grass is greener. Everything is different because Jesus. Everything is different because because him. Because your focus is no longer on me, 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 me. Your focus is on him and living for his glory. And scripture tells us and shows us that's a place that is rife for miracles. That's the third one. Live for his glory. I think of my sister who lives in Springfield, Illinois, and I'm telling you, my sister and her husband are just nuts. They're crazy. Most of us would look at my sister and say, and her husband and say, why do you live like you do? Here's a couple who has, who has left jobs and left everything because my, my, my brother-in-law believes that his call is to be a missionary to his city. He has no income. He has he has nothing, really. They have a house. And that's just, they live in faith. And, and, and I'll tell you, my sister, when she posted, I don't know if you saw it, she posted miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And I know her well enough to know that that's not scratching the surface of the things that my sister and her husband have seen God do in their life. Literally, checks for $10,000 that come into their, their mailbox at the last minute. Why? I don't know why. But I know this, that my brother-in-law and my sister live for the glory of the Lord. If you want to see God do something great in your life, live for his glory. Bow your head, close your eyes this morning. Jesus, Lord, put our focus, Lord, in the place that it should be, on you. Lord, how easy is it for us to be culturally, uh, culturally so, so caught up in, in, in what culture says is significance and importance. And take it off of what you say is, Lord, what you say is significance and importance, Lord Jesus, is is submission to you. Lord's love for you. Lord's love for others. God, it is putting you first. It is humility. Lord, it is living right in your sight. Lord, it is forgiveness. Lord, it is these, and and Lord, many more that your words teaches us. Lord, these are the things, God, that are most important, most valuable. Lord, it's time in your presence 
Lord, it's allowing you to speak into our lives. And Lord, allowing you, God, to pull things out of us that shouldn't be there. Lord, that is of significance, Lord, far more than anything else. And it is hard when life is tough to put our focus on you. But your word says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured, endured difficulty on his way to the cross. God, we have so miss the point of that scripture. Lord, redirect us back to it. Lord, I pray for those this morning, God, that are in need of a miracle today. Lord, I pray you would do it. I pray, Lord, we would see eyes opened, ears opened. Lord, blind eyes to see, ear, deaf ears to hear. Lord, lame to walk, blind to see those, Lord, who are caught in the web of whatever it might be, of sin or of diff- whatever it is. Lord, be set free. Jesus, I long for the day when that becomes a consistent day-to-day thing, Lord, within this body and within this city. And Jesus, I pray you prepare us right now for this to happen. Lord, you are speaking to people right now in this room, challenging them. Lord, you are calling things out on all of us this morning. I pray, Jesus, that you would not only, Lord, call this out, but, Lord, you'd help us to, Lord, turn and walk away from these things and turn to you. Some of you today, you, God has spoken to you about some unforgiveness that you have towards him, towards somebody else. You need a miracle today. One of those miracle places is miracles of favor. And, and, and I encourage you, to submit those things and give those things to Jesus. Maybe today you're here this morning and you have, you have made something your God, your small G God, and it's not the big G God, and you see that today and you recognize that that's not right. He's challenging you on that. So I want to encourage you to lay it down before him. Maybe it's an attitude. An attitude towards leadership, an attitude towards someone else, another believer, another whatever else, and you have set, seen that thing, and it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But your life is in ruin, and you have failed to see and realize that that's something that has taken you out of God's, God's favor and it puts you in your own, and you're struggling for it. Come back to Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and you say, I need a miracle, but I know that my point of my miracle has always been me. Make me feel better. That's the good thing about miracles is they do. They, they're for us. But their ultimate result is, is not us. It's, it's him. I want to encourage you with something right now. Encourage you to take your eye off your difficulty and put your eye on him. Say, Jesus, my life my miracle I need, all of these things, Jesus, it is for your glory. If you do it today or if you do it in 30 years from now, that Jesus, I will anticipate knowing what you have done has been for your glory.